Hi, I'm Kanika, and you're listening to That's Total Mom Sense, the podcast, where I interview public figures on their life lessons in parenting, legacy, and built-in sixth sense. Hey, what's up? I'm Kelly Rowland, and you're checking out That's Total Mom Sense. Hi, this is Chelsea Clinton, and my experience on That's Total Mom Sense was fantastic. It's me, Bobby Brown. Can't wait to share my story. Thank you to my guests, brand partners, community, and you for making the show possible. Episodes release every Thursday, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can join my tribe by logging on to thatstotalmomsense.com and by following me on YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram at Kanika Chadha Gupta. Now let's dive in to today's episode. Is your little one starting daycare and you have to label all their items? Do you need to keep track of all the water bottles at home? Do you want to help your toddler know left from right on their shoes? Look no further. Enter Name Bubbles. Founder and President Michelle Brandris launched Name Bubbles as a way to help parents stay organized. After her experience of sending her son off to daycare only to discover half the things she packed for him didn't return home, she resorted to the tape and permanent marker method. To her dismay, the tape either peeled or fell off in the dishwasher. This quick fix solution didn't cut it. And with her son's severe nut allergy, she knew she needed to keep track of his things. The outcome? She discovered a new way to label. And NameBubbles.com was born. Today, it's been more than 15 years in the business. NameBubbles is loved by parents worldwide and parent-owned and operated. The brand ensures it's non-toxic through third-party testing, and the labels are dishwasher safe, laundry safe, microwave safe, and freezer safe. I know my kids especially love the unicorn and dino designs. I appreciate that all their steel bottles have labels that remain intact, and laundry is a breeze since the names don't wash off. Thank you, Name Bubbles, for keeping me and my household and kiddos organized. Use my code MOMSENSE to receive 25% off at namebubbles.com. The code is MOMSENSE, M-O-M-S-E-N-S-E, to receive 25% off at namebubbles.com. Happy labeling! Do you find yourself smiling at strangers, being an ultimate connector to your friends and colleagues, and cheering others on when they win? Well, then you're a nice girl and know that you can be unapologetically passionate about your goals and compassionate towards others. To go a step further, do you feel you deserve to love your career? Do you believe you're living out your calling personally and professionally? Well, if these topics resonate and you sit at the intersection of this Venn diagram like I do, this episode is going to be one of your favorites. Today, I have a guest who's become a fast friend, trusted confidant, and a true blue supporter of me and all women on a mission to leave their indelible impact in our world. She is Fran Hauser. Fran Hauser seeks to level the playing field for women and create content and products that help us live our best lives. She does this through her investing, writing, and speaking. Fran has invested in over 30 female-founded companies across consumer tech, CPG, media, and wellness, including 13 Loon, Brightland, The We Suite, Hey Mama, Work, and Meditation Studio. She is the best-selling author of The Myth of the Nice Girl, Achieving a Career You Love Without 
about becoming a person you hate, which has been translated into six languages and has been named Best Business Book of the Year in 2018 by Audible. Fran's second book, Embrace the Work, Love Your Career, is quickly becoming the go-to for women seeking more joy and fulfillment in their careers. Fran regularly speaks at conferences and organizations to help women build careers they love while staying true to themselves. Much of her current work is informed by 15 years spent in media, where she rose to the ranks at Ernst & Young, Coca-Cola, Movie Phone, and Time, Inc. as president of digital. Fran, welcome to That's Total Mom Sense. Kanika, I'm so happy to be here. Oh, it's a I love seeing you. <laughs> me too, me too. Well, I want to start out by giving a shout out to who introduced us, Eve Brodsky. She's the author of Fair Play, and we met at her book launch for Find Your Unicorn Space in New York. And it feels like it was eons ago, but also it wasn't. I think it was like right when we were coming out of COVID. Yes. Because I remember it being like one of the first gatherings, you know, and I just remember that room being filled with so many amazing women. I think there must have been like 60 or 70 women there. Yes. It was special. Yes. So I'm so happy that we found each other. Yes. <laughs> I know. Same, same. Yeah. I, I so appreciate the network that we have. Um, and Eve, we love you. Fran and I are now working on hosting an event together or featuring women of color disruptors, and it's going to be phenomenal. So keep a lookout for that. I want to also start by sharing a poem that really sums up how I felt when I met Fran and anyone who knows her, there's going to be so many of us tuning into this episode that are like, oh my gosh, I have my own meat sweet story <laughs> with Fran. And here was, you know, just a poem that I wrote after I met her. In a world of countless souls, fate weaves its design where paths converge and friendships align. Once upon a moment, a fellow nice girl I found, a beacon of light with a purpose profound. She champions the rise of women standing by their side, celebrating their victories and embracing their strides. Her words and actions, a testament to grace, a warrior for equality, empowering our space. Through her, I learned the strength we possess to uplift and inspire, to nurture and address the power of friendship forged with pure intent. A beautiful journey awaits. My heart is content. <laughs> oh, Kanika, that was so beautiful. I have to tell you, like, I remember when we had our coffee date, leaving that interaction with you and my heart just felt so full. I've really been trying to pay attention to how people make me feel. Are they energizing? Are they draining? And like really prioritizing the people that fill me up. So it's just so nice to, to hear that you felt the same way after, yes. after our coffee. Yes, 100% I did. And I think it's so important to find that alignment in life and the paths that we cross because we do have that agency to choose. You know, yeah, we um, do. You know what? Life is short. So I always say, like, be intentional about the people that you choose to allow in to your life. Right. Well, let's, you know, kick off this interview. I want to start with your childhood. We're, you know, the product of immigrant parents. Mine immigrated from India when I was two, and yours came from Italy when you were two. Have they reminded you of your early years in Italy? Yes, I love hearing 
their stories. And even better, they have a lot of photos and eight millimeter film. So my dad actually moved to the United States before my mom and I went over because he wanted to look for work and like start saving money. And one of the first things that he spent his money on was an eight millimeter camera. And he would come back to Italy to see my mom and me. And like two things pop into my head when I, I, I'm picturing watching these old home movies. One is that my mother would sew all of my dresses. Like, so she made all of these beautiful dresses. You know, we lived in a very poor part of Southern Italy. So she was very scrappy and, you know, she, she, she sewed all, all of these like beautiful dresses and my dad loved to dance. So I have these images of being on the rooftop of our house and I'm wearing one of these dresses. I'm dancing with my dad to Italian music. My grandparents are sitting off on the side and like every once in a while they come in and they get in on the action and they start dancing with me. Oh my, um, God. And my mom is there and it's, you can feel the love. Those early memories are really, they're really special ones. Yes. Oh, that's so, so sweet. Mm -hmm. um, and tell us about, you know, the OG nice girl, your mom, and you open your book, The Myth of the Nice Girl with her story. She raised four children in New York, actually a suburb, you know, right outside of Manhattan with very little command of the English language. You know, I really watched her become a businesswoman because she ended up opening up a tailoring shop. So I just told you, like she would make all yeah. my dresses. So she had this, this tailoring shop in Mount Kisco, New York. I remember for the first time thinking, oh, you can be both nice and strong because I would watch her like after school, her shop was right underneath our apartment. It was below our apartment. So I would go there off the bus and I would help her and I would watch her with her clients. And she was always so loving with her clients. She was so kind, so sweet. But if a client didn't pay her, like if a client like owed her, you know, money, she had no problem letting them know, right? She wasn't a pushover. She did it with a smile and she did it in, in a really like in her way and like a really nice way. But it really was the first time where I was like, oh, that's cool. Like you can be nice and you can also be strong. You don't have to be a pushover. So I do always say she's the OG, OG nice girl. Yes. Oh, that's brilliant. You know, when you were six years old, you were managing the accounting books for your parents. It was a very complicated, I would say I had complicated feelings. Like I was really proud that I could be helpful and that I could contribute right to my family. I was the oldest of four and I was helping my mom and I was helping my dad. Like you said, I was writing invoices when I was in first grade. But then there was a part of me where I was like, oh, I just want to go outside and play, you know, and, and I did, I had a lot of playtime with my friends and my cousins, you know, in the neighborhood, but it was like, it was a little bit of a complicated re relationship for sure. But I'll tell you this, Kanika, I never remember complaining. Like I just did it. I knew my parents were relying on me. I honestly, at some points felt like it was the least I could do because they had sacrificed so much. I mean, to leave like your parents, right? Like to leave this yeah. world. I mean, even just the language, like I still, when I think back to my parents, you know, like I, I don't know how they did it. I, I remember 
with my dad, you know, he had to go find these job sites. He was a landscaper and a stonemason. We had no GPS back then and he couldn't read English. So it was really up to me to get him to the job site. Like I either had to take directions down. I had to write them down um, by talking to the client, his potential client, or I'd have to read a map. And like, I really six years old, seven years old, eight years old, I would get him to the job site and then he would memorize the way and go on his own. But, you know, you talk about like being resourceful, being scrappy. I mean, that, that was a huge part of my childhood. I want to get into your first book and you kind of open with a scenario where you had this boss, Jane, and you were working on a project and you kind of overstepped and kind of consulted with her higher up uh, for approval. And uh, you were really just looking to get the project done well. And then because she felt, you know, um, a little put off by that, instead of having this looming animosity, awkwardness, which is very commonplace in the workforce, you instead invited her to lunch and apologize, Mm. which is just, um, take us back to that time and that conversation you had with your boss. Yeah, it was, um, it was such an aha moment for me because I really did something that was so out of character for me. You know, when you talk about me being a nice girl, like for me to go over her head, I took some really bad advice. You know, I actually went to a mentor and said, look, I have the situation. I'm not sure what to do. And they literally said to me like, okay, you need to stop being the nice girl right now. Like this, you need to go, go over her head. Mm-hmm. And it did not turn out well, right? It really damaged my relationship with her. And I actually have the book here, Kanika, and I, yeah. I was going to read if it's okay. Yes. You. Um, okay. So I went to Jane the next day and asked her out to lunch. She hesitantly agreed. And as soon as we sat down, I apologized straight from the heart. Jane, I told her, I really messed up. I explained the pressure I was feeling to deliver a fast yes. Knowing how quickly we needed the proposal turned around, I felt in the moment that it would be best to go to Eric right away, I said, but I realized after the fact that I disrespected you and didn't give you a chance. I'm so sorry, and I promise that going forward, this will never happen again. I could see a wave of relief come over Jane, and she graciously accepted my apology. And then for the rest of our time at lunch, I took advantage of the opportunity to get to know her a little better. I learned that she had two young girls, et cetera, et cetera. So like, it was really the beginning of us developing a more personal relationship. Look, I think that's an example of where you got to own it, right? And I also knew that, look, I had to work with Jane. (laughs) Like, I had to work with her. So I, I had to find a way to really fess up and own that, you know, I screwed up and, and try to make things right. And even though it was really difficult, especially so early on in my career, I'm so glad I, I'm so glad I did it. You know? Yeah. I loved opening with that story because it really showed sort of the, um, going back to your word conflict, you know, Mm -hmm. when you're a nice girl and then you're given this advice, right. And you take it, even though it's, it's against who you are and it's not aligned with your values. So the idea of like the way that we show up at work, it's so important to show up in a way that's aligned with our values. You know, if you're kind and compassionate and empathetic as a human being, don't check those qualities at the door when you go to work, right? Those are all qualities that will serve you well. 
Yeah, it's true. And I think that, you know, something that's become so commonplace in the workforce is just this kind of hating and competition amongst women. And it just, it it starts with us before we can win over the patriarchy and try to get rid of any kind of misogynistic ideals that are in society and the boardroom. We have to champion each other. It's championing each other in big ways and in small ways. I just like, I think about all the incredible women that I've worked with over the course of my career who have stood up for me, who have encouraged me to go for a promotion or to go for that high profile project, who've put in good words for me, who've, who've helped me take credit for work that maybe someone else was taking credit for, you know, like, so it's, it's all of it. And it's just really being there for each other. It's so, it's so important. And I see, I have to tell you, Kanika, that I am seeing more of this now than I did very early on in my career. Like I felt like Mm -hmm. when I was in my twenties, when I looked up at the women that I worked for and even the women that they worked for, you know, they were growing up in a time where there were very few positions for women at the top. So yeah, there was so much more competition. Like it really felt the energy just felt so different with a lot of those women mm-hmm. because they really felt like they, they had to be competitive. They had, they had to be abrasive. They had, you know, I don't know. I just feel like with my generation and then like with the generation, like coming up that I do sense more of this kind of supporting one another, championing one another, which is such a wonderful thing. And I love that you, you know, wrote your first book about that kind of galvanizing this movement because, you know, we spoke about this offline, but it was really the antithesis to other works that were coming out. Why men love bitches and boss babes and all of that. Like, yeah, I think I told you I had a, a little bit of like a heart attack when I, I went to the bookstore like a week before the book was coming out and I looked at the women in business table and so many of the books were really promoting a more masculine form of leadership, you know, and the myth of the nice girl is the opposite of that, right? It's all about how nice girls can make it to the corner office. I'm nice. I made it to the corner office. Yeah. Um, and this idea of like how you don't have to choose between being nice and being strong. And I really, in the book, I just really wanted to unpack, like, what does it mean to be nice and how there's so much power in being nice? Because when you're nice to people, it allows you to connect with them and to build relationships. And you know, when you're in business, like success at the end of the day, it's all about your relationships. It's all about your relationships. And, you know, I think about like, whether I was working at Movie Phone or AOL or People Magazine, you know, Time Inc., being nice helped me in so many ways. It helped me get resources allocated to my projects. It helped me hire top talent because people wanted to work for me. You know, it helped me negotiate contracts effectively because I was always able to like put myself in the other person's shoes and really think about like what's important to them. So being nice has really served me well in my career. And I, I wanted to give women the permission to be nice, you know, like to just be, be yourself. And you can do that without being a pushover and you can do that without being a people pleaser. Yes, they truly can. And, um, and, you know, thank you for redefining the word at first glance. When you think of nice, it's like, hmm, 
it's kind of just forgettable. But when you really dive into what that means and how there's just so many facets to, to being empathetic and compassionate and confident and being able to, you know, command a room and support others. Like there's so much behind it that, you know, it just, the word nice doesn't get its due until you have, like, um, yeah. Well, I <laughs> know it can, it, you're right though. Like it can be such a throwaway term, you know, or it's like, it's like an adjective you use to describe someone when you can't think of anything else. <laughs> yes. Right. So it's like, yes. definitely like early on in my career, I did have managers say to me, you're too nice. And mm. in the beginning, like I didn't really know how to process that. And I didn't know how to respond. I would actually respond by saying, well, can you give me some examples of how that's hurt me in, in, yeah. in my role at work and my career? And there were never any examples, you know, there were never any examples. So then I would provide examples of how I saw it actually help me create more value at work. You talk about uh, Ann Moore, former chairman and CEO of Time Inc., and how she was a nice girl, genuinely lovely, and you aspire to be like her. What can we do to make sure that we're kind of taken seriously as leaders? She was so great at creating a psychologically safe environment for people to operate in. So I always felt very comfortable taking risks. I felt comfortable making mistakes. I felt like I could speak up and I would be respected. Like even if she didn't agree with me, she would still respect me. Mm -hmm. So I think as leaders, you know, really one of the most important things that we can do for our teams is to create that space. And you really do it by like modeling it yourself, right? Like as, as a leader, if you are not in agreement with what someone is saying, like the way that you talk to that person in front of everybody, right? is you're not going to disrespect them, but you're going to say, oh, that, that's that's really interesting. Tell me more. I want to make sure that I understand, you know, where, where you're coming from, like, and have a really healthy dialogue, you know, and, and debate. So I, I think that that this, this concept of psychological safety is a really important one. And I've read a lot of research that, you know, just shows it's it's one of the most important things that we can do as leaders. And by the way, it's something that comes pretty natural to people that are nice and, mm. and are empathetic and, and compassionate. Right. Right. Um, yeah, um, but, yeah um, but she was, she was amazing. But one other quick little story, mm -hmm. sometimes in meetings, she would start the meeting by asking each of us to share something that we were grateful for. And it was just like such a beautiful way to start the meeting because it just set this really great tone, especially yeah. if it was like, Maybe it was a time where there was a lot of stress, you know, like maybe we weren't hitting our numbers for the quarter, you know, so, or maybe there was like some bad press or like what, whatever it was, like, I felt like she was so great at positive tone setting, you know, at the beginning mm. of the meeting. And that's just one example of, of, of what she would do. That's incredible. Yeah. I, I feel like, you know, so many leaders should take a cue from that. And we all are in our own way. Can you do kind of a rapid fire on some tangible takeaways for the audience on, I'll just go through a few different points. The first being boundaries. What's, you know, a kind way of still being very clear what your boundaries are. Yeah. Look, I think this is all about saying no. And 
we don't say no often enough. It's usually because of FOMO or maybe, you know, we're in people pleasing mode. But the one thing I would say is, especially with your inbox, when you get a request, right, and ask for your time Mm. before you respond, yes, which tends to be the default for many of us, really think about, is this in alignment with your priorities? Is it strategic? Or is it just something that you want to do? It's going to bring you joy. But don't say yes, just because you feel bad saying no. And when you say no, you can, you can, it can be very short and sweet. You don't have to write three or four paragraphs. It can just be, thank you for thinking of me. I'm heads down working on whatever it is you're working on. So I won't be able to participate, but please, you know, think of me for the future, wishing you all the best, like two lines. And what about apologizing? Sorry, I was late. Sorry for this. I didn't get this on time. Um, And you have, you know, some stories around this too. Yeah, it was actually the most popular story in the myth of the nice girl. It was the first excerpt about how I was so committed to stop saying I'm sorry for Mm -hmm. things that were trivial. It really does put you in a position of weakness if you're that person that's always apologizing. So a couple of things that I did, I actually downloaded a Chrome extension called Just Not Sorry that was created by this amazing female developer, Tammy Reese. And what it does is every time you type the word sorry in an email, you literally get this like alert, like, is that really what you want to say? And I literally use this for a year, this, this extension, just to like help wean me off of it. Tammy said it's been downloaded now a half a million times the last time I talked to her, which is incredible. Wow. Um, Then the other thing is I had this great friend at work who's my accountability buddy when it came to this, because whenever you're trying to change a habit, it's just so helpful to have somebody who can call you out when you're doing it. So I had this like really great friend at time who did that for me. Yeah. So that's why like I approached, I approached that. I'm like, I really need to do something about this because a friend of mine initially called me out on it. And I didn't realize that I was doing it, but she's like, you know, you, you apologize a lot for things that you really shouldn't be apologizing for. I don't know. Maybe that's something you should look at. And I was like, really? Yeah. I do. So another one where I owned it and you did something about it. Right. Exactly. Um, and what's an easier way to not apologize, but I don't know, do you have to kind of explain yourself or not? Like, you know, whether it's email or You know what I love, Kanika? I love saying thank you instead of I'm Mm -hmm. sorry. You know, it's like, thank you for your patience or thank you for thinking of me instead of I'm so sorry, I can't make it. You know, like if you start with thank you for thinking of me, it's just so much more positive. So I think in most instances, you can actually replace I'm sorry with thank you. What about making sure that we get the credit when it's due? Is there a way? to do that. That's not like tacky. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I love? I love using storytelling, teaching, using it as like a teaching moment. And what I mean by that is you're right. I think it feels tacky to just be like, Hey, that was my idea. Right. Mm -hmm. But instead, like if you're talking to your manager, like one-on-one and they believe that someone else came up with the idea because that person took credit for it, you can bring it up in a way where you're more like telling a story like, oh, we were in this meeting the other day and we were brainstorming and it just, it it felt so great when everybody loved the name that I came up with for for the product, you know, or you could say we were actually using this brainstorming technique, this new technique where we blah, 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 blah. It's more of like a learning moment. Yeah. Far more tasteful. What about, you know, how oftentimes there are people who humble brag 
too much. And it's just, is there a way to, you know, share your accomplishments where it comes off genuine and authentic, but not like. When I'm posting on social media, if I focus on value and really adding value, it, it just made my relationship with social media feel so much more comfortable and authentic. Mm. So like, if you look at my social media, like 80 to 90% of my posts are advice, insights, sharing experiences that I think might be helpful, like interesting news. You know, even if I'm like moderating a panel, like, yeah, you'll see pictures of me with my book and, you know, people from the panel with their books. But the caption is always like, what were the takeaways? What what can we learn from this? And because I feel like I am creating so much value, I don't mind then sprinkling in promoting like products and services every once in a while, right? Mm -hmm. Like that feels okay. That feels okay to me. Yeah, I like that shift in the narrative. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's great. And if we were to parlay being nice in friendships, Someone I met recently, I think you may know her too, Neha Roach of Mother Mm -hmm. Untitled. We met, I want to say last year and just same thing, hit it off fast friendship. And when we had gone to a conference recently, she was in a room with friends and said, who do we think is the nicest girl here? And they all said me. And it was just, it was really, really touching. And as much as I was kind of taken aback by that, I thought that's that's just really sweet because a lot of these people I've just met, I do have friendships from my past where they still sting because they're, they no longer exist. I think so many of us have this um, at this phase of our life where, you know, in midlife, you do like this audit of <laughs> who do you want around you? And I don't know. I, I I don't know if you feel this too, but I'm a really forgiving, giving person, but I also, I don't yeah. think it's important to prolong friendships where they're so one-sided and, mm-hmm. you know, one, the, the female friend is actually too self-serving, you know, maybe even narcissistic and whatever. And it's like that, it's just not a reason to keep being nice. I couldn't agree with you more. And for me, it's interesting you say in midlife, you know, we kind of do this, this audit, mm-hmm. you know, when I did this audit during COVID, when we were in lockdown, I literally remember we were in lockdown. We weren't seeing anyone. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, who am I missing the most right now? Like, who can I not wait to see when we come out of this lockdown? Yeah, And I was specifically thinking about my girlfriends and I made a list of them and I actually, they're still up on my bulletin board because I wanted to make sure that I prioritize seeing them. And I really decided in that moment, like, I just don't have the space in my life for any toxicity. Yeah. And, and here's the other thing that I would say is there are some women that I used to be very close with who I decided I I no longer wanted to be close with them, but I changed the format of my relationship with them where like, it's more of like a group thing. Like I'll see them in a group setting, which is fine, but I'm not doing the one-on-one anymore. You know, I just want to be like really intentional because I don't like feeling icky. I don't like, you know, like when you, right. So it's, yeah, I really feel you on this one. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's something that we become much more attuned to. I think the older that we, that we get. 
Do you have advice for nice guys? You know, the things that we've been talking about for women, they really apply to men too. Like I've had men read the book and they've gotten just as much out of it, you know? And I think it's really just about how we show up and not thinking about like, or not framing nice as weak, you know, it's just kind of shifting the narrative. So yeah, I think, I think it's just, it's very similar advice, truthfully. In your career, you've made so many pivots and what you're doing now, I feel like is so part of your core as an investor. So tell us how you got into that. Yeah. Well, so I was at Time Inc. and I'd been there eight years. And I just, I remember this very profoundly. I was having coffee with Soraya Darby, um, who back then was a, a founder. And she said to me that she had so many female friends in New York City who were looking to launch businesses. But when they looked up, there were no female investors or advisors or mentors even for them. And she, she, she just looked at me. So I looked at me and said, Fran, I think you, you could be this person. Like, I really see you like, you're such a great mentor. You've mentored all of these like, you know, professional women over the course of your career and Kanika, because I was running digital at Time Inc., I was spending a lot of my time meeting startup founders because we were looking at like doing partnerships and, So, and then I also learned that only 2% of venture capital funding was going to women. So it was just, it all kind of came together where, oh, and wait, let me say this at the same time, my kids were three years old and 18 months old. And I was really hoping to like create a professional life for myself where I had more flexibility. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, wow, like, you know, if I, if I could go to work for myself as a startup investor, I think I'd find it really interesting. I think, and it would be so great for my family. And what I did though, is I I started it out as like a little side hustle while I was at time. I started investing. I started advising because I really wanted to make sure, I mean, it was such a big leap that I Mm -hmm. wanted to make sure that I really enjoyed it. So I'm glad I started small. And when I realized, yeah, I, I really like this. I could see myself doing this full time. Then it was just getting over the hurdle of, being really scared to leave that platform. Like it was such a big platform. Gosh. I could call anybody and they would call me back. And yeah. the idea of like, you know, wow, do I have a strong enough personal brand like to go out on my own? So I had to come to terms with that, but I did. And, um, you know, this was 10 years ago now when I've, I've invested in over 30 female founded companies. It's been mm-hmm. so rewarding, so amazing. I feel like I'm like learning all the time. I'm like meeting really interesting people. And it goes back to like my love of business. You know, like if you think about starting as a young child with my parents' small businesses, right? And then I had the opportunity to work in corporate America for a really long time and to work at Movie Phone, which was a startup, and now to be investing in, in startups. So I feel like it's like full, full circle. Someone who wants to pitch to you? What advice do you have? I look for founders that are really open to feedback, really good listeners, not dismissive, which trust me, I've had conversations where it's shocking, you know, like how like you give feedback and it's just like glossed over. So I really love that. I love like active listeners taking in the feedback. I love seeing adaptability. When you start a company 
here's the one thing that I will tell you is that it's going to change. The products are going to change. The services are going to change. Your team is going to change. There's going to be external stuff that happens. So really being adaptable is so important. Mm. And the last thing I'll say is that I really want to understand not just what you've accomplished. Like I can see your bio and LinkedIn and, you know, hear your successes, but I want to understand how you accomplish those things. And sometimes it's hard to to get at that by talking to the founder. So I do try to do a little bit of back channeling and just, you know, talk to like maybe mutual connections because I just want to understand like how collaborative is the founder? How do they make decisions? You know, do they, do they bring people in and all of that? So those are things that I really look for. I look for character and integrity. You want to invest in somebody who's like really passionate about the product that they're launching and, um, hopefully has some experience that that they can bring to the table, right? In some way, whether it's functional experience or whether it's their network or so I look, I look for that stuff too. That's like more the more of the technical stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um the personal characteristics that I talked about are really important. The brainchild during the pandemic for you was your second book. And I have that here that's Embrace the Work, Love Your Career. And you worked on this with our mutual friend, Angela Engel. So how did this book pour out of you when we were on lockdown? (laughs) Literally poured out of me. I wrote it in six weeks. And it's like really shocking, honestly, like when I look back at it. But what happened was I remember like I was sitting right here at my desk and I remember reading an article about how millions of women were leaving the workforce and how they were all feeling so burnt out and so stressed. And I just really felt compelled to write a book for them. And that was really my my inspiration for writing this book. And I wanted it to be light and beautiful and joyful, more of a workbook, lots of writing prompts and reflections and exercises, you know, very different from the myth of the nice girl, which was narrative. You know, I feel like it was just like all this content that was in my brain and in lots of different Google Docs, talks that I've done, interviews that I've done, mentoring that I've done. Like it just all came, it all came together really quickly. I love it. It was such a joy working on that book. And you know what? It gave me a purpose during that time besides homeschooling. Yeah. You know, like it was just like, I would get up before the kids, I'd get up at like five in the morning and I would spend two hours writing. And it, it just felt like so, I mean, I'd have to get, I got to bed a lot earlier than I usually do, but it just felt so good to like start the day with, okay, I've already, like I've done my writing. Then the kids got up breakfast and then we went through the, you know, all the schooling. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so intentional of you. And, you know, Farnoosh uh, Tarabi, she's the host of So Money, among other things, and author as well. She she posed a really great question, which instead of writing, love your work, embrace your career, you wrote it the other way around. And it's just, it's a great way of thinking about it because work shouldn't be this chore. I mean, in our uh, Hindu philosophy, we have karma yoga. Every time you're doing something that is essentially work, it could be your work at your job, tending to the kids, um, folding laundry, it's all work, but it's also kind of building 
your karma in this life. Mm -hmm. And it's its own yogic practice because it is something that you're doing daily and you have to get done. So I love that you're, you know, just kind of creating this mindset shift around embracing work, not like, damn it, I have work to do. Mm -hmm. I love, first of all, I love that. I love that the karma yoga Mm. is such an interesting mindset and Mm -hmm. philosophy. And, and, you know, it's interesting because yes, to every single thing that you said, and the other inspiration really for the title was that I really believe that it takes work to love your career. So this idea of like investing in yourself, right? Investing in your skills, building out your network, building a personal brand, like all all of that, that's all part of creating a career that you love. It all takes work and intentionality. That's great. And you have three definitive ways to create time that you Mm -hmm. uncover in this um, really fun workbook. I mean, there's place to doodle and take notes. It's, it's really something that you want to have at your bedside. Three tips. It's you can create a two don't list, say no, and change the way you work and not have any perfection or FOMO around it. The to don't list is actually a tool that I love and I've been using it for a while. And the idea is that again, that we're really intentional about like, where are we not going to spend our time? So I have my to-don't list right now. Like there are things that I've chosen not to do. Like I'm not going to join any boards this year. I'm actually not going to invest in companies outside of my portfolio for this year. I'm going to double down on my existing, Mm -hmm. right? right? So it's just like making a list of the things that you're not going to do. And let me tell you, it is so liberating because even right now, like if a founder reaches out to me, who's not in my portfolio and they want me to look at their pitch deck and consider investing, it's so easy for me to say, you know, I've pressed pause on investing in companies outside of my portfolio. They don't take it personally. It's a strategic decision that I've made, right? Next year, I might start doing it again. That's why I use the word, you know, press pause and you can revisit it, right? In three months, you may change it up. So that's one thing saying no, we talked about, right? And like, the, the way that you can do that in a way that feels really good. And then changing the way that you work. For me, a big part of that was when I came back after my first maternity leave and I realized that I didn't want to be working until midnight. You know, I really wanted to get home and, yeah. and be with my baby. And I had to take a hard look at the way that I was working. And I realized that like, I was wasting so much time making internal documents look pretty. If I had an idea that I wanted to talk to my boss about, I actually created a PowerPoint deck instead of just like going into her office and sitting on her couch and having a conversation with her about it, right? Like, so I really had to be thoughtful about how I was spending my time because I read a study that the average person is only productive for like two and a half hours out of an eight hour workday, right? So it goes back to like each of us taking ownership of that and having agency and choice around how we work and working in a way that's more effective and and more efficient. I realized I was doing um, one-on-one meetings with each of my direct reports. So that was eight hours a week. And we were just like, they were just going through their to-do list with me. Yeah. And so I realized I'm like, you guys, we're not going to do these anymore. Instead, we're going to do a group meeting once a week. And 
get on my calendar. If there's a huge obstacle that you need my help with, or you have a new like business idea that you want to talk to me about and get on my calendar for 20 minutes. And we'll just like be really focused on that one thing. And it was just like game changing, you know? So, so really like taking a hard look at, at how you work. And the workbook also gives you a chance to think high level and um, work on your big picture. And you have this acronym RBG, which I love to, you know, it's homage to um, Ginsburg, um, but really big goals is what it stands for. And it's something that you should really carve out time. If you can do it daily, great, but definitely weekly. What are those really big goals that you're striving for? I'm curious to know what are your RBGs? Yeah. Well, so really big goals are part of a career action plan. So like there's a whole section in the book that takes you through how to create a career action plan. Mm -hmm. And there's four areas that I think are like the most important areas to focus on. If you want to build a career that you love value creation at work, connections, skills, and your personal brand. And I basically take you through, Kanika, how to create at least one RBG, so one really big goal in each one of those four areas, because I really believe like it's got to be doable. It's got to be manageable, right? And then the idea is that you have that discipline of like once a week, you're checking in on looking at your calendar, looking at your to-do list. Are they aligned with your really big goals? And there are a ton of exercises in the book that help you figure out what your RBGs should be in each area, you know, but like for me, I'm just in the interest of time, maybe I'll share one of my RBGs with you. Right. So Mm -hmm. if I look at the connections quadrant, my RBG for connections right now is I'd really love to meet more investors that are focusing on consumer packaged goods because my portfolio companies that are looking to do their second, third, fourth raises, like they're, they're raising money. I'd like to be able to open more doors for them. Mm. So that's like, it's very strategic. Like when I think about my connections, my network and where I want to focus on building it out, that that's what I want to focus on. That that's my RBG within the connections quadrant. Wow. That's brilliant. I love it. I want to shift gears and talk about your mom motherhood experience. Mm. Um, can you share yeah. how that came yeah. to be? It's, um, it's been quite a journey. You know, it was very difficult for my husband and I to have a family. I went through three rounds of IVF that were all unsuccessful, but it was really meant to be because we ended up adopting um, two amazing boys at birth. They're incredible. They're 11 and 13 now. Um, So we're entering into the teenage years, which is awesome. (laughs) Um, It was quite a journey. And I remember being a People magazine and my friend, Nancy Valentino, who was running PR for the magazine, she sat in the office next door to me. She had adopted her daughter and she saw that I was struggling with IVF. And she came to me and she just said one day, she said, you know, Fran, there's more than one way to have a family. And you know, she told me her adoption story and I was like, okay. And she introduced me to her attorney who I met out in LA. Um, and really the, the rest is history. And I feel like I've, I love being there for other people who are looking to adopt because 
I love sharing my story and I also love introducing them to this incredible attorney. I've literally helped at this point, like nine or 10 friends adopt. Oh my gosh. Amazing. Really happy, 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 like adopt, like amazing. Yes. So that idea of like, there's, there's different ways to create family. Yeah. Oh, wow. And what are some of the life lessons that you're passing on to your boys, given that you learned so many as a child? Yeah. So you get to relive your childhood again through them. I know it's so amazing. And I feel like if I think about the, the values, like from when I was a child, if I think about my parents, if I think about my grandparents, like it was all about family, you know, like family first and togetherness and kindness and love and respect and all of those really good things. Right. And doing the right thing, you know, is something Mm -hmm. we talked about a lot. You know, I always say to them, it's really important to me that they feel comfortable talking to me about anything. That's like a huge value in our home. And so far, like they do, like they come to me with everything, you know, and and I'm Mm -hmm. there for them. And I always tell them I won't judge them. It's just been incredible. I love being a mom. It's like the hardest, hardest, hardest thing in the world. I always say my professional life is like so easy. It's so easy compared to being a parent. And are there any mom sense moments that come to mind? Is there one that you feel like this is where I trusted my intuition and it steered me on the right path? Yes. I'll tell you, this is a story that I, I love to share because when the kids were younger, I signed them up for all these different activities, right? Like all the, all their friends were doing these activities. I signed them up. And what I realized was that a lot of the activities, the kids just didn't enjoy. And it was causing so much stress because they didn't want to go. So it was that like tension of like getting them to go all the time I spent, like getting them to these different activities. And one day I just kind of woke up and realized, why don't I let them take the lead? Like, let them tell me what they want to do and lose the FOMO of, oh my gosh, but like everybody else is doing it. Like they should be doing it too. It was, it was just really such a profound moment because um, it gave them agency. It gave Mm -hmm. them confidence. It reduced stress in my family, like significantly. So like this idea of like, just because other people are doing it, you don't have to do it you know? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's like really, um, I think it's like one of the most important aha moments, um, and decisions that I've made as a mom, just like being able to really let that go and let them take the lead. Yes. Yes. And I think because you're so mindful as an investor and leader, Mm -hmm. you're kind of treating your home the same way. Yeah. And it's like, you know, you, you both have skin in the game too, even though you're kids and I want to hear your opinions and how you would navigate this. So I think that's absolutely. And look, being a mom has also helped me be a better investor and business person in so many ways, right? Like I think about going back to adaptability, right? I talked about that in terms of when I'm investing in founders, I look for that being a mom has made me so much more adaptable, right? Because Mm -hmm. you make these plans and then one of the kids gets sick, you know, it's like, yes, there's just always like, I feel like there's always something Mm -hmm. and you, you kind of learn to like go with the flow and just know that like stuff's going to happen. And it's really about like, how do we react to it happening? And so bringing that 
mindset and that philosophy into my professional life has been extraordinarily helpful. Yes, exactly. Do you have a quote that you live by? A quote that I love by E.E. Cummings, and it's, it takes courage to grow up and become who you really are. And I love this quote because it's really all about embracing your true self, but also acknowledging that sometimes the process can be hard, but there's also like just so much hope for me when I, when I hear that, that quote. So I just love it. It's, it's a quote that, um, gosh, even when I was like, I'm thinking back to when I was like in my early twenties and I was like living in the city, it was, it was like one of those like magnets on my refrigerator and still (laughs) all these years later, like I still always go back to that. Oh, that's beautiful. You have so many upcoming projects from Bookbound Co. to your new journal, Reflect and Reset. So tell us about all that. Yes, yes, yes. I'll try to make it quick. So I have a journal, Reflect and Reset, Reset coming out October 24th. Um, it's a beautiful journal. And it's it basically just takes a few of my favorite exercises from Embrace the Work, Love Your Career, and puts it into this gorgeous journal format. So that's coming out in October. And then Bookbound is my book coaching um, company, which I'm having so much fun with. I love helping people bring their books to life and just really help them think through like, what's the best publishing path for them? Because Kanika, you know, there's so many different ways to get your book published. So traditional hybrid self-publishing. So I'm, I, I love helping people think that through and really like demystify the process And then my other sweet spot when it comes to book coaching is if you have a book coming out, it's helping you with like creating the marketing and the the launch plan. Because as an author, especially for nonfiction books, it's not just about writing the book, but it's also about promoting the book. Those are, you know, there's there's a a lot more information on those services on bookboundco.com. Amazing. And where can my listeners follow you and support you? So franhauser.com is my website. I'm on Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I'm even on threads. I'm, like, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to figure it out, Kanika. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> yeah, but, the, but mostly Instagram and, and LinkedIn. That's great. Oh my gosh, Fran, you are a ray of light. It's such a joy to be able to unpack everything and every single life lesson you've applied it to your career, to your family life, to who you are as a person. This has just been such a treat to share your story. Thank you so much. I feel like we covered so much, right? It was amazing. I don't know how you did that, but you got through it in an hour. But um, I just, I feel the same way about you. And thank you for for sharing st- these important stories and for amplifying the work of, you know, so many amazing people. I just feel really honored to kind of be be in your world and, and in your community. So thank you. I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Fran and definitely check out her books, The Myth of the Nice Girl, Achieving a Career You Love Without Becoming a Person You Hate, and Embrace the Work, Love Your Career, and check out her journal, which is predicated upon her second book that has fun prompts and activities to follow along. 
Fran, it is such a joy to know you. I'm blessed to call you a friend. And I'm really excited about the event that we manifested when we met. And it is called The Change Makers. It's happening in New York City on November 15th. It's at the Industrious Co-working Space in Hudson Yards at 6 p.m. on Wednesday, November 15th of this year, 2023. And we are featuring some powerhouse leaders on the lineup. We'll be having a panel with Tabitha St. Bernard Jacobs, who is an activist and columnist of Raising Anti-Racist Kids and is a senior advisor to the Women's March. Marta Cross, who is the founder and CEO of Apto Skincare, which is available on our website and at Target nationwide. Lisa Mayer, who is the founder and CEO of Boss Beauties. And lastly, but not least, Nina Davaluri, who's the former Miss America, and she is the executive producer of a documentary called Complexion. I can't wait for these women to share their stories of how they've driven change in their industries. And I'm excited that we're partnering with No Women, K-N-O-W, Women, which is led by CEO and founder Sarah Benkin. I am honored to have been awarded one of the 100 Women to Know in America Award. And it's great to be able to bring No to our city, to New York. Thank you all for listening. Be sure to watch this episode with Fran on YouTube. You can just type in That's Total Mom Sense and it'll come up. And you can visit my website, That's Total Mom Sense.com, and follow me on Instagram at Kanika Chada Gupta. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. It helps a ton with the algorithms and it helps those who you know will benefit from hearing the interviews on the show. So thanks for spreading the word. Remember, always trust your mom's sense and dad's sense. Stay strong, super parents. I'll see you next time. That's total mom sense.